0: You're listening to the Business of Pharmacy podcast with me, your host, Mike Kelzer. Alex, for those that haven't come across you online, introduce yourself and tell our listeners what we're going to talk about today.
1: I'm Alex Barker, pharmacist by trade, uh, business owner by night and day and everything else. <laughs> I run a company called the Happy Farm D. And what we do is career coaching for pharmacists. So we help them create inspiring careers and lives. Normally, it's getting into a new job, new career. Uh, Sometimes it is business as well. Today, we're going to talk about, you know, the struggles of being a founder, walking through insanely difficult times and relying on your team to enact your vision for what you want your company to do. The struggles of what goes on with you personally and and overcoming those
0: I'll extend my sympathies at this point Alex I know that your dad passed away quite recently
1: Yes that's played a huge burden on me um I was there practically every day in the last few months um but as I reflect on that journey like I wouldn't have been able to do any of that if I was working 40, 50, 60 hours a week, um, over the last year through my dad's, uh, cancer treatments, I was probably working during that time, 20, 25 hours a week, which is where I want to be, uh, with my work. Um, I was working typically Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, um, taking fun, occasional meetings on Fridays, doing some prep work, maybe on Mondays. Um, and then eventually, though, I just dropped off really due to grief, misery and pain for months. I didn't do anything. The occasional communication, uh, my email was managed. My social media was planned and managed. Everything was planned and taken care of by my team. And I would have never been able to do any of that if I hadn't put in some hard work in 2020. 2020. Uh, The pandemic really lended itself to automation for me. Um, And now I'm kind of getting back into it. So you're catching me now. I mean, I'm still full of grief and misery, (laughs) but happy to be here on this podcast talking about what we've learned and what we've gone through.
0: Where do you see yourself without that four months of the vision hat on, let's say? And maybe it was on.
1: When I think of the traditional definition of vision, I, I think about like wh- what is your company trying to accomplish? What what is its specific purpose? And luckily that's set pretty well in stone ever since 2018, 2019. Um, and that's to work with pharmacists and help them transition into new and better jobs.
0: I think I asked a crappy question because I was talking about vision. And I think what I more meant was that area between that of there's vision that you set. And then there's the execution, not even execution. Maybe the word I'm looking for is the growth slash watching your tail that no one's coming up to eat you uh, from behind. I think maybe that's what I'm thinking about. Not the five-year vision or the 10-year vision, but what do we need to be doing like a year from now? Those kind of thoughts.
1: I think I had a lot of fear about that over the last year. Fear of... Um, getting out of touch with the audience and with our customers. I think I've had a lot of fear about like losing our edge. Um, But I had a really great like mental shift because I had a lot of worries and fears and anxiety all during this time um, that really backed me up into a corner. On the one hand, I felt like I couldn't really chase my ambitions I have big projects that I want to work on and I want to do and I want to get into but on the other side of that I felt miserable I felt full of guilt and shame and I don't want to do any of this (laughs) Um, my dad is dying and I'm incredibly demotivated and sad so I had a lot of like inner frustrations and that really couldn't go anywhere and that guilt
0: and shame came from where that you were even thinking about business in a time when your dad was dying or that you were not giving enough to your business where was that from
1: well oddly enough (laughs) i think it was from my dad my dad was a chemical engineer Um, And if you've never met one, they're basically pharmacists Mm. that do Mm -hmm. a lot more math and science (laughs) with uh, mechanical parts. So he, anal retentive and a hard worker. Um, This is a guy who stood up against company lawyers who were doing some shady stuff. Mm. Um, This is a guy who would work his butt off and not complain about it and not talk about his worries or frustrations. Hmm. Um, and I really looked up to him. And as much as I am a clown and a goof, I, I do think that I adopted a lot of his hard work mentality and thinking. And it always pained me when I felt like I wasn't giving it my everything. And unfortunately with that kind of thinking, it's, it's flawed because as soon as you give anything or something, it's never enough. You can never appease that desire. And so as I'm grieving through losing my dad and and seeing him deteriorate because of this brain cancer, I'm thinking to myself, you have a great vision and ambition for what you want to accomplish in this world. And you want to work, you want to do these things. But you, you can barely sit in front of the computer and write an email. Um, just actually last week, I finally wrote this email um, about a new book that I want to work on, and it took me five minutes to write this this email. But I have I I didn't do it for months, and probably up until about January, I felt guilt about it. I felt guilt of like. Oh, just, just do it. <laughs> just, just send your ideas. Like it's good. Just get them over to the editor and, and you can get the process started. But no matter what I did, guilt followed me for a while. When I would sit around and do nothing or play video games, you know, during the day. <laughs> oh, what? During the day. And I would say to myself, what are you doing? You're a bad dad. You're a bad husband. You're a bad leader. You're a bad Person, and that got old really quick, so therapy helped out a ton <laughs> and i I learned to uh not go through that anymore, really.
0: You own your business, you're going to live and die by your efforts. it's yours, yet mm-hmm. you still feel that guilt. Hey, I've got it too. My dad speaks from the grave sometimes when I don't feel like I'm doing my thing. <laughs> where is that guilt come from because in essence it should be nobody's damn business this is your thing
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah and what's so funny is that no one on my team no one who supports me has my wife my kids my my dad no one has ever said anything like that and anytime i did anything everyone was like great that's awesome you did something that was exactly what we needed um so that inner voice that inner person actually has a name. I'm actually not gonna say this person's name because this is actually the same name as a alumni colleague um, but this voice is an anal retentive uh good is not good enough voice uh this this voice is someone who tells me um, you could have done more when when I work one hour, this voice says "Why not two when I give everything doing a video or a course or a class or I'm speaking, this voice says the next morning when I wake up, um, you forgot this, you didn't do that, uh, or you got that thing wrong. And I have learned to separate this voice from my own inner dialogue and accept this voice i'm doing really hard by the way to not gender this voice because i i want to say what the gender is
0: (laughs) this is actually someone you have in mind or is it fictitious is it really you
1: well up until a couple months ago i didn't distinguish this voice it was me it was my own inner thoughts but i have learned that I don't really want to have these thoughts. They are not helpful. They do not motivate me. But, well, in a way, I think they have. Um, this voice is afraid. It's my own inner thoughts, and it's trying its best. It's kicking me in the pants, trying whatever it can to get me to do something about my fear. Because my fear is this business is going to tank. This Mm -hmm. is going to fail. People are going to find out that, you know, I'm a fraud and I'm a loser and no one's going to believe in me um, if I don't do something. So you need to do something. And so I've learned that this voice in my head, (laughs) I've learned to objectify it, get it out of my head to get me to stop feeling anxiety and pain and, and sadness so that I can move on, number one, to better emotions and feelings that don't create anxiety and depression and misery and rationalize with this voice so that it doesn't have so much power and control over me um, because, man, this voice has created so much misery over the last year that I really didn't need Cause I was losing a dad. Like the last thing you want to do to someone who's like, (laughs) I'm just imagining like this workplace scenario where your boss is like, your boss just found out, Oh, you're, you're, you're losing your mom to, I don't know, terminal breast cancer. Oh, that, that, that really sucks. By the way, we need those reports tonight. I need you to stay late. Oh, and by the way, don't make any mistakes because I know you have in the past and you suck. I'm going to go now. (laughs) But that was what was going on in my head. Over the last year.
0: <laughs> Did you ever have violent dreams?
1: Yeah, I have had a few. But I've also had violent thoughts, too. Um, I've had, like, crazy thoughts about committing senseless violence. Obviously, I'm <laughs> I'm a rational human, so I'm, I acknowledge them. I say, okay, wh- why? But let's put those aside, because you're not going to do those things. Um, I think that's a part of being human you know, to deny the fact that you've ever wanted to <laughs> hit the person uh, who's causing you to go, you know, 55 and a 70. Y- you want to cause harm, but...
0: I had a time in my life probably 10 years ago where I was caught in a double bind and I wasn't standing up to a person I should have been standing up to. Hmm. I never stood up to this person and I was having dreams for the longest time about killing people in my dreams. I mean, I've probably <laughs> killed like... I mean, not, not lately I haven't, but I've probably killed like hundreds of people in dreams about 10 years ago. And I felt really crappy during this time. I wasn't standing up to this person who I felt was bullying me in a way, not physically, but bullying me through passive aggressiveness, different ways like that, Mm. that someone would bully you. And I was talking to this therapist and this is over time but she had asked me she said what did this person look like in your dream that you were killing and i said well i don't know i didn't really see his face is that he's you know he's about my size and my height and my age and my hair color and things like that i was killing me through these dreams not a depressive killing not a suicide kind of thing (laughs) but i was so angry at myself for being in this double bind, which I could not have really gotten out of in, now that I think about it, but I was so angry at myself that I was killing myself in my dream because I was so mad at myself for not standing up to the person, but also maybe not being a comfort to myself. It's a crazy thing, that pressure from the outside, and a lot of it's from ourself.
1: I think our subconscious is finely tuned to what we do and don't do in, in those decisions was the the dream like the final straw on the camel for you to act
0: the situation I was in had already passed it was me still dealing with bullying myself you know why didn't you do this in this situation why didn't you stand up for yourself in this kind of stuff And now I know I couldn't have really but it was giving myself a break actually
1: were you able to forgive yourself
0: I don't know I mean Sometimes I think so, but sometimes when I'm on my fourth bowl of ice cream at night, you know, doing everything that's bad for me, and you know what I mean, and yeah. watching some mundane stuff when I could be doing these goals that you're talking about and being mm-hmm. better to myself, and I'm like, I'm not sure if I have. I think so. Life goes on. Mm. But enough about me killing myself in my dreams, Alex. Back to you. You <laughs> never killed this person in your dreams. You never really let him have it this person that was coming to you in the night and saying, Alex, do better.
1: I think I've always been a pacifist, both by <laughs> physical nature. Like, I'm not a tall; I'm five, nine. I was never a big kid. I could never beat up anybody. <laughs> um, I definitely had a way with words, though, in a way I, I, I was very good at making people feel awful about themselves oh. in the most humorous way that I could to make other people laugh at their their own expense really
0: digging in
1: right so i'm very harsh with myself because of that and i think i've learned to love this voice as best i can cuz this voice isn't going away anytime soon but i don't have to just keep listening to this voice I, I i don't i don't need to feel like i have to always be working for the survival of my company um I've hired great people, amazing people to do the things I've asked them yeah. to. And I've never also really been a anal retentive controlling person to my benefit. And so I don't double check things. Um I let them be messy because that's my life, <laughs> that's who I am. And there's great freedom in that as a leader because I I don't have to watch people I used to do one-on-ones with everyone. Um, not because I felt like, okay, I need to double-check your work with you. I just felt like I had to do that because I was the one with the vision on what what needed to be done.
0: I was listening to an interview with Freakonomics, Stephen Dubner.
1: Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. They were
0: talking about Facebook iterations, different versions of Facebook, and they give the freedom to the programmers to try something out off the stem of Facebook. And if it works, they can come back to Facebook and say, hey, this has worked, look at the numbers, and then Facebook will bring that into their stem. Here's what I thought of that though, is all these years in the business, when I hear that voice, and maybe you hear that voice, people are driving me, this, this voice, to say, uniformity, go focus structure no room for time no room for (laughs) relaxation but sometimes like without you meeting with each individual person and watching everything there is some room for some personal freedom you don't want so much that your happy farm d no longer has its no longer means what it means but there's some room for freedom, but it's hard to see that when you're being so hard on yourself. I don't know if that's the case here, but it's hard to see it when you've got so much structure in your own mind going on.
1: Uh, I don't know how much structure is going on in my mind, but <laughs> I, I, I'm happy to report, you know, I've been gradually getting back into things. Being very kind to myself, and, and I made the decision early on, if and when I feel like working, I will. But if I don't, I won't. And in one meeting I had with um, Janan Sarwar, who helps, she's one of our coaches, she's a pharmacist, and she also helps us with content. And Janan said that she had this interaction with um, a pharmacist who wanted to join our team. And she said that this pharmacist kind of asked her a very confrontational question. I was like, what? What did what, they say? She, she said... Who is it? Who is doing all of this? Who's in charge? She's like, "What do you mean?" I mean, Alex founded the company, but I guess he's in charge." She's like, "No, no, no, no. You guys all say the same things. You guys I have different conversations with different people and you guys all say the same things. So, does Alex like make you read something and memorize it or like why how are you this way?" And while you know, it was a very investigative question for someone that wants to join. That's that's smart, and that's what you should be doing. It made me feel like, ah, oh, okay, I've been away for a long time. I've not been engaging with stuff. And yet, despite that, we have hired amazing people who get it. And they call each other out, and at the same time they also support each other. And what we're trying to do and what we're trying to accomplish. Um, And I feel like when talking about automation or business building, it almost comes down to do you just do you have the right people? Do you have people who give a damn? Um, There's so few people who actually (laughs) do. And it's usually, though, because that they they don't trust that the company gives a damn. They don't they don't think. Their manager, their colleagues, the, the founder really cares because if they did, they would, they would probably act different. Um, I know what it feels like to walk into a pharmacy where I actually feel appreciated and cared about. When you go into a place where people care about you, you know it. Because humans are finely tuned, I believe, to like just notice very subtle things. You know when someone is forcibly saying hello to you or hi, how are you? But you can also tell when someone says that very same phrase and you're like, oh, this, this person actually is asking this and cares.
0: Talking about treating people well in a business... Yes, you should treat people well, but I am a firm believer in never owing your employee anything outside of two weeks. Here's what I mean. I always say I'm going to give my employees two weeks of pay for two weeks of work. Let's say the check comes out every two weeks. Hmm. I don't like the whole we're like and you didn't say this but I don't like the whole like we're a family thing
1: Oh, yeah, you got to be careful
0: (laughs) Here's one of the reasons I hate it I've had employees come into me and they say I'm putting in my two-week notice and i'm like back in the day. I'd be like, oh, okay Maybe a little hurt inside, you know kind of wondering but I had to put a good face on like congratulations You're moving up in the world things like that But if I as a business owner brought them in and said, you know what? I'm just kind of making a change. There's nothing really wrong here, but you're gone. You know, no big reason. You're doing a pretty damn good job, but goodbye. I'd be the villain in that case, but it should be equal. Everything should be cleared off at two weeks. And to your credit, Alex... The management, I understand what you're saying about being nice to people and so on, but your management, your power is not so much that you treat your people well, it's because you have a great system. You're a great leader with a great system. It's not because you're so nice.
1: (laughs) I think both help, but yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're an a-hole, you know, people are going to figure that out quick.
0: My people haven't, (laughs)
1: they have, that's the
0: sad part about it.
1: I think when, when we say like our business, we're like a family, I think what they're trying to say is we like to hide stuff under the rug. We don't like, we don't like to talk about issues or have conflict. And, and we like to pretend that when we get all together for Thanksgiving, that we're happy and jovial and we've got a few beers and we're good. And then we're going to show up on, on Monday and back to the grind. Um, I make it very clear to people, you know, this is a business first and our personal stuff is going to get in the way. It just will. Yeah. Um, but it's, I tell people, you know, when, when personal gets in the way of business, when it's consistently doing it is when we've got a red flag and we need to address it. And what, you know, what's actually interesting about this, Mike is, I don't know if you've lost someone, Um, but I have found in my own head, not not now, but I, I saw a struggle appearing, which was, you're not working right now. Would you extend the same, quote, grace to your employees if they go through this? And, you know, my initial answer was no, and then guilt. Like, oh, well, if you wouldn't do that for them, why are you doing it for yourself, you lazy bum? And and what's been insanely helpful is to recognize, guess what? They're not running the company. They don't have the fears that you have. They can go get another job. They didn't put all the blood, sweat, and tears to create this that you did. It has to work out for you. <laughs>
0: It has to work out. You've got, call them what you want, either rusted handcuffs or golden handcuffs. It has to work out for you. You can look at it and say, yeah, I was hard on myself, but then I was good to myself for six months and I wasn't there and I was there and all this stuff. You can paint that any way you want to paint it, but it had to work out for you or your business wouldn't be there. The employees, you know, sorry. But here's the thing with the employees, Alex. I might sound nonchalant about that, like, sorry. But the thing is, they can do that on their own if they don't like something. If you don't like something in the business, sorry. Either spend three days or three months or three years in changing it. You know, you dug a hole with something you didn't like, change it. You're stuck there. You're stuck there. You're there. Someone else, though, yes, they can be let go, but also they can leave if they don't like something. They're not stuck there. I know you can change, but it doesn't happen as soon as two weeks.
1: Yeah. It's not equal, right? It's not equal. It can never be. No. Because that's not how business works. And I don't think we want to become a communist nation or company. Um, I think it's okay to be a communist with things like your family. We want to help our family regardless of the circumstances because we love them but we don't want to be that way in in government and politics and the bigger you get because not everyone should be treated that same way. Um, To give the same love you give to your family to everyone, you'll eventually end up abused, right? Yeah. It it won't end well for you. What comes to mind for me is compromise. And, And I don't want to get too philosophical here. Go ahead. One thing I am slightly concerned about is... The future, of course, everyone is, and I'm slightly concerned about how I see culture shifting away from uh, acceptance and compromise. What kind of tuned me into this was watching how, both in media, but also in places like Reddit, which is an awful place to go, uh, but I spend a lot of time there, <laughs> is is how people treat others when. Um, they feel offended or dejected. So you know, relationships is a great pl- place for, for for that discussion about how like, oh, if, you know, that person did that to you, then you need to dump them. You need to get rid of them because they did that one thing. And I'm not saying something as far as like cheating, just how they treated you or or what they said to you. And it's almost like people cannot accept that, Other people are fallible, just as you are, and that they make mistakes and that they can grow and learn, but to just reject others based on the belief that they won't is almost putting away uh, compromise. And when you put away compromise, you ruin any chance of relationships developing deeper and becoming something bigger and better, hence what a business is all about if your business cannot compromise, even with places of automation and, and growing and learning, then people are not going to stick around long because they are gonna reject. And it, it makes me a little bit concerned for the future um, because I, I see that more and more at reasons why people want to leave or want to quit. Um, not that I wanna say that people have petty reasons. Sometimes they do though. Sometimes it's about, oh, this person said this. Well, did you talk to them? No. No, I didn't. And I never will. Okay, well, what happens if that goes on at the next place? Because it probably will. Because we're freaking human beings that, I mean, have conflict all the time. Because that's what being human is. It's how you interact with each other and ideally show trust to others and respect that allows even businesses to go on. And sadly, what we find is that most workplaces, cause you know, we're in the business of getting people into better places. We find over and over again that people in the workplace don't feel at all safe, that they're always having to watch what they say, watch what they do, because if they say or do the wrong thing, they will be outed, they will be found a fraud, they'll be fired, and they have to constantly be on guard. It's like, I can't even do the work that I'm trying to do. I'm I'm playing this political game of cat and mouse doing my best to avoid any kind of conflict.
0: Yeah, there's no room. Right, which is kind
1: of like family at times. <laughs> if you can... <laughs> Kids these days. Uh-huh. Yeah, let's talk about them.
0: <laughs> Kids these days do a lot of shacking up together. You know what I mean? Living together before marriage and so on. And the marriage ideal has gone down. Mm. And here's why I feel sad for that. Strip away any religious connotations on it, strip away any public scrutiny of living in sin. Take all that away. What's really sad about people not being married? these days is there's no room for error Mm. my poor wife agreed to live with me forever and she gave me permission to be an asshole you know she didn't say that but she gave me that permission to do that and then maybe rise above that and then maybe become a better person the problem with the dissolution of marriage take all the religious stuff away from it it's sad that People are on eggshells in their relationships.
1: I can see where you're coming from with that. I, f- I feel like every generation is going to change. There's actually some really interesting anthropology research about this idea, about how generations change and what they consistently do over time. I wonder what will happen next in the next 10, 20 years. But what I, we can already see it happening now that people are changing jobs more frequently because they, number one, they feel like they have the freedom to do so. Um, And so they don't have to put up with BS when they see it.
0: They're not married to it. So that's a good
1: thing a lot of times. Right. On the other side of that coin, when people do make those changes, it's usually not because of the company or the work. It's because of people. I wish they would teach more of these soft skills kind of ideas Early on in the education system, but sadly, I, I don't think they will. And I also, I also think a lot of people are just missing out because of not seeing it in the in their families, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, back to your idea, people aren't getting married as they used to be, and I mean, as a married man, I'm obviously very biased to the idea because I, I think it is a good idea. I like it. I've benefited from it. I can understand why other people don't um, and I don't condemn them for whatever their decision is. But I do think as someone who raises two girls that to have these concepts taught early on about conflict resolution, about the moral uh, obligation to apologize when you wrong, um, makes society better because as soon as you remove the idea that, you have to do your very best to not do anything wrong. You create a very stifling culture, not just in the home, but in the workplace, right? And it, it will kill any kind of cohesive team.
0: If you have to be perfect all the time, that's bad.
1: Yeah, when, when you have to be perfect all the time, it creates a culture where you're constantly on the defense and you can't, you can't have fun. You're not playing a game anymore. You're, you're playing. Don't get in trouble. I've talked about this at great length, how we've created in within our industry, a culture of perfectionism. Um, And no matter what we do, it is our roots. And it is very difficult to change any kind of behavior, you know, Profession wide, um, And it's why when you go to things like major association meetings, like you, you just know people are not really saying what they want to say. They're not really spilling the beans or saying what's on their heart. It's prefabricated and it doesn't feel real or genuine, which is why we see quite a few associations worrying about numbers. Because this is newer generation that's coming is all about relationships. It's all about authenticity. Like that's the buzzword that you see in a lot of, you know, HR um, publications or Harvard business review. It's all about that stuff because that's what this new generation really cares about. And I think our profession is coming to terms with that, like realizing, okay, we have to address these problems and, and actually talk about them, not just say that we care.
0: Is that like on an interpersonal level or from the podium? Are you saying that people at these things, when they're in the hallway, they're not sharing their true self, or is it more on a institutional level that people are not being honest? Give me an example of where you were going with that.
1: Yeah. Won't name names because we all want to play fair, right? Well, even me doing that, that's... It's you, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I wasn't thinking that, but that's good. But I mean even even the idea of me not saying who to call out who is kind of like being up on that podium, right? Because I'm not being genuine anymore. I was though at a nameless pharmacy uh, association meeting and they were talking about the burnout issue because that again is a buzzword and, and I've talked about that at length. And I could tell Just the vibe of the audience was, this is a problem. And I think I maybe have a problem. And I think the problem is my job. But everything that was being said from the podium was about how they needed to fix it. You know, it's kind of like an obese doctor telling you how to lose weight. And I'm not saying that the association uh, did or didn't have those issues. Um, but when you don't admit your own fault, when you don't admit, Hey, we actually have this problem too. You can't be genuine anymore, which is why I think some people find when I talk about it refreshing, because I've been a part of both. I have been burnt out myself. I have contributed to a burnout problem. I have seen people within my own company get burned out and figure out, okay, we need to fix this because this isn't the way you should work or act because there's a ton of problems associated with it.
0: You're saying that let's picture this figurative room. Maybe you're saying that the leaders are saying all of you pharmacists individually should change this about you instead of looking (laughs) at themselves and saying, how can we change? Is that what you're saying?
1: Uh, Yeah, absolutely.
0: Give me an example of that. We're not going to name names, but Alex, no one listens to this damn show. It's just, it's just me and my dog that turn it on on Monday afternoons. Come on. <laughs> no one's listening. Let's hear it.
1: You know, it's funny to be in this position, Mike, because like as someone who was on the sidelines, like, give me the give me the goods. Tell me the secrets. What's going on behind the scenes? I can now say with full certainty, I ain't going to do that. I ain't gonna throw people's names in the muck and mire no give
0: us an example you can talk about the issue without blaming anybody right we can talk about the issue of of infidelity without naming your neighbors that we talked about before the show you know (laughs) bob and sue across the street you know what i'm saying we don't oh oh boy we don't have to (laughs) we don't have to name the names come on give me the issue without naming the names when or an example, an example. Yeah.
1: Well, here's the one that infuriates me. The whole theme of the conference was resiliency. And that's a great idea. We all want to be resilient. Who doesn't want to be able to handle life's awful problems and bounce back? Yeah. Everyone wants that. But when you start recommending things like meditation another thing people are (laughs) people are burned out they are unhappy and they are dissatisfied with the working conditions and by burning out it means they're working too much they're doing too much oh you want to be resilient as a solution to burnout here's another freaking thing to do Mm. and i'm laughing because uh, Corey jinx who I think is a fellow... Corey, yeah. Yep. Fellow friend. Yep. He is actually the one... Him and I were spitting the other day and we were talking about this very idea. And and I'll give him credit for, you know, wording it the way that I'm even wording it. He he was laughing and frustrated as much as I am frustrated about this very issue because to give someone who's miserable another thing to do, it's insane. It, it really is. And so... When I think about these people in charge making these recommendations, and I actually I know from insider knowledge that this place this this group creates burnout. It it only justifies my belief that you don't know what you're talking about. Creates it in their association or
0: creates it in the industry by not doing something.
1: <laughs> well, both. If their burnout resources are recommending that individuals do more it is counterproductive and it doesn't make any sense and also as someone who has read thousands of articles on the subject we know with great certainty that making people do mandatory things like resiliency training or burnout solutions it doesn't fix the problem also every freaking cause of burnout is not caused by the individual it is all done by the workplace so making recommendations like that just proves to me number one you don't know what in the world you're talking about you haven't talked probably to a single burned out person um it just frustrates me so now you've got a frustrated guest mike thanks thanks for making me mad on your podcast i'm gonna walk away from the edge now (laughs)
0: <laughs> Is there a way going forward or should this conference not have happened because it's useless? And if it's not useless, <laughs> you've got the mic. <laughs> what are you telling these hundreds of people looking up at you? So ladies and gentlemen, you've got the mic.
1: What are you saying to them? First of all, you're not paying me enough. It'd be a hard position to fill. <laughs> I, joking and truthful. but. If it's possible. Insanely hard. I don't even know if one person can't. No, one person can't do it. And not for however long their terms are. I, I, I don't know. We need not just pharmacy-wide solution. We need a revamp of how we think about work. We need to philosophically change the way our culture thinks about work And a leader of an association of a tiny industry cannot do that. Um, So number one, I got to get promoted to like, I don't know, something in the government, which by the way, no thank you. But from my limited stance, if I was in that position, I would have to start working on policies that would change fundamentally how pharmacy would work. Uh, because we know that policies influence practice. And we also know that we would probably have to get rid of some of the powers that be in order to change that. Because right now, it's, it's very clear that those that are writing policies or advocacy groups, uh, typically not directly within the pharmacist advocating profession, are advocating things that are making it worse. And they, it, it's making things better for them because they're making tons of money doing it. But from our standpoint, it's, it's making the workplace awful. It's making things not good.
0: Someone that's outside of pharmacy. Give me an example of that.
1: Yeah. Um, so in my own state of Michigan, uh, a law was passed a couple, a couple of years ago that made it legal for a pharmacist to have remote access to another pharmacy in a different location in a different building and be able to manage that um via virtual networking potentially uh the reasoning behind it was to create better access of care for places that that have you know barren pharmacies sounds great But would you want to be a pharmacist, the only pharmacist right now on staff in charge of your own pharmacy? Oh, and also you're managing a pharmacy 50 miles away where you don't know the technicians, you don't know the patients, you don't know anything. Talk about like malpractice, you know, (laughs) galore waiting to happen.
0: Someone that's still influencing pharmacy but doesn't have a clue of what really people are going through.
1: Yeah, yeah. But something actually, I, I've had this happen that as a leader that I'm even concerned about within my organization, that as you begin to delegate and give people more power and, res- well, really responsibility, not so much power, you create this opportunity for yourself to become disconnected. And it's become a growing concern of mine as as the founder. Uh, like, I need to be talking with people consistently. Because if I don't, I, I lose touch. I lose sense of what people care about. I lose sense of what even our own values are. Because I've made bad calls in the past as a leader. I've made misinformed decisions. And it's made me a better leader by understanding where that went wrong and, and what I needed to learn from that experience. So this, this fictitious scenario, I would hate that. I would hate that and I would have to interject weekly if not a few meetings every week where I'm meeting with people on the ground and hearing their stories and learning what they're experiencing um, because it's so easy to disconnect, care what you care about. And unfortunately, sometimes... Care a little bit too much about what you care about right and you start getting dirty at that point and taking money and it's a slippery slope to have any kind of power like that
0: you've got all these great ideas but who of us doesn't we can all sit there and think what we should do but now i'm telling you i come over and i whisper in your ear at this convention alex these people are two weeks away from a life change. We already talked about that. We talked about people putting in their two-week notice. We talked about a company maybe selling but not telling their employees until a week or two ahead of time they sold. A lot of stuff happens in two weeks. What are you gonna tell them to do for the next two weeks?
1: Ask the question, what is it that we are currently doing that is making it unsafe for us to work? Not, not just physically, maybe that's probably not much of a concern, but mentally. What is making us unsafe? Because I bet if you were able to describe all of the things uh, that make a relationship unique, that someone you love, so just in your mind, picture someone you love or you care about. And if you were to describe that relationship, it would be things like respect, care, concern, worry even. And if you were to describe all the things of a person that you despise or loathe or uh, want to object to, you would you would say things like disdain, uh, disrespect, all of the opposites, right? And I, I would venture a guess that everyone could come up with activities, interactions, the way people talk and workplace evidences that would be able to say, guess what? these are the things that we're doing in the workplace that are making it unsafe for me to work. I'm more concerned about what's going to happen at our daily huddle than I am concerned about making sure that this medication is, is safe for this patient. Yes. And I would say, come up with a list of all of those things and talk about them. You don't have to fix them because maybe not everyone has the same viewpoint as you. That's probably the case. But if you could at least start talking about them in the next two weeks You'd be making some progress because just like sometimes the family Thanksgiving, no one wants to talk about Uncle Jim's racist comments last year. You know, <laughs> it's time to talk about it. It's time to get it out in the open so that we can at least address that. Because if you don't, it'll fester and it will ruin your company and it'll probably make it a place where people will want to leave. If not, will leave. I guess that's what I would say.
0: What's your worst quality that you could wake up with someday? Not every day. You roll out of bed, though, and you woke up on the wrong side of the bed. What's that worst quality, and does that affect your business, or can you hide it enough?
1: I'd say I have two worst qualities. Um, The first is that uh, I'm not considerate of other people. Being an only child, I was kind of trained to only care about myself. (laughs)
0: <laughs> i came from a family of 12 children so that just shows you how nice i am
1: you couldn't do out your parents with 10 come on those are rookie numbers mike
0: <laughs> i feel like we're way behind
1: you know honestly i've been a jerk for most of my life it wasn't until i think i turned 24 that i read how to win friends and influence people and realized, wow i've been a dang turkey for most of my life unlikable and i on my worst days yeah and i'm i'm honest with people with our team usually if we when we have team meetings i tell them you know what my tank is low right now um don't expect me to care uh, i've said that a few times especially over the last couple of months and and they they get it you know they don't blame me um and i don't blame them i mean i don't like it obviously when my coo is feeling empty or drained she had a period of time She had some really awful things happen to her for like a solid six months. And I tried to be there for her when I could. You know, I asked her to do what she felt like she was capable of doing. And I didn't ask for more. Mm -hmm. Um, And she has returned the favor to me tenfold. Um, So I'd say lack of concern. And frankly, during this period of time, the, the biggest thing for me is demotivation right now. I mean, for example, we're recording this in the afternoon. I need to work on a presentation that is due Monday. And all I really want to do is go play with my new puppy. You know, (laughs) I don't, I don't want to do it. And I, I hate feeling this way. I, I, I don't have much that i i can do other than kind of a statement i said earlier which is self-acceptance i don't feel like working okay fine i'm not gonna feel guilty about it but for years i have been um self-condemning uh my thoughts when i when i feel demotivated
0: your company the happy farm d what's happy enough right now for you (laughs)
1: well happiness is fleeting it's really not a a a on point name
0: (laughs) you don't have to feel like a google if that was your company i wouldn't say how do you feel
1: googly right now but what's happy enough right now for me personally yeah for you i am i am filled with a lot of happiness right now because i i work when and if i want to and Every moment that I am working, I'm, I'm so engaged. I love what I do. I talk about things that I really care about. And although I'm not, as of this moment, I'm not actively like coaching someone. I'm not working with an individual or a group. My team is. And I know that my team is changing lives. Not just like that individual pharmacist which is gratifying in and of itself, but we're changing families. And I have a board of like comments of what people say. Things like, my wife actually loves me again. My kids don't ignore me on Sunday before I go into work. I'm actually excited to go to France again. And when I see those things, like it fills me joy would be the better term because as as soon as you obtain happiness you have to try that much harder to get it right it's just like a drug right (laughs) you you need you need more shrooms to achieve that same level of high that you had a week ago and for me right now i am filled with a lot of despair and sadness but equal amounts of happiness because If I was where I were five years ago, I'd be back at my J-O-B working with a team of people that had mixed feelings about me and feeling like I really wasn't making a difference in my patients' lives because all I was supposed to do was fix, you know, their medical health problem. But today I get to change a life and a thousand other lives because of that one life and for me that that's where i'm at right now misery and extreme joy
0: <laughs> that's life isn't it
1: it's comedy that's for sure i mean it's it's a great it is a great place to be um i'm very happy i'm very happy
0: speaking about two extremes yeah I've got to use up two tickets that got canceled because of COVID. So I'm going to Arizona tomorrow and you're stuck up in the UP.
1: Oh, I was just in Florida. So congratulations. (laughs) Whatever. Whatever.
0: It's in the present. So I get to be in Arizona picturing you up in
1: the UP. Yes. Dealing with the snow. It is awful. I will tell you that. It is awful. We're getting a summer or a winter home. It's official.
0: (laughs) When I think about people up in like upper Canada, I'm like, how would you do that up there you know but people from the sun belt think of us up here as being crazy
1: i mean every place is awful right florida has cockroaches and alligators you know and flooding and hurricanes you don't want to be there for that that's crazy why would we want to do that as northerners
0: i'll send pictures pretending like i'm having fun
1: Uh, i bet you will
0: hey alex good to see you thanks for your time thanks for having me always nice talking to you thank you thanks alex You've been listening to the Business of Pharmacy podcast with me, your host, Mike Kelzer. Please subscribe for all future episodes.